Tom, good afternoon listeners. Today we have an insightful discussion about a recent research paper exploring the complex factors that influence language development in young Korean children. Thanks for having me, Tom. I'm excited to dive into this topic with our listeners. Early childhood is a critical time for language learning, and children's environments play an important role in shaping their development. This paper provides a nice overview of some key contextual considerations in Korea. Absolutely. Let's start with providing some background on why this paper is significant. As you mentioned, the early years are so important for language acquisition. This study focuses on a key period from ages 8 months to 3 years, when children's vocabularies really start expanding. Prior research on socioeconomic status and language development has tended to focus on older preschool or school-aged kids. So exploring these dynamics in Korean infants and toddlers fills an important gap. Great point. Understanding the foundational period of language learning can give important insights. The authors also note that Korea offers a unique context to study these issues, with factors like high maternal education levels but moderate female employment rates, widespread child care use, and a culture that highly values education. This combination of socio-cultural dynamics provides a valuable opportunity to examine how socio-demographic variables interact. Exactly. Moving to some key concepts, could you summarize the main scientific ideas addressed in the paper regarding socio-economic status, parental engagement, and language development? Sure. A main concept is that socio-economic status, or SES, encompasses social standing, financial means, and parental education levels. Prior research shows SES impacts various aspects of child development, including language acquisition. Higher SES parents tend to use richer language and respond more contingently with their children. The paper also discusses two types of parental engagement, play and shared book reading. Play supports cognitive development in diverse ways, while book reading uniquely provides a vocabulary-rich environment through parent-child interactions. Finally, it explores how maternal employment may impact time for parent-child interactions and language outcomes. Tom, listeners, have you been worried about your baby's vocabulary? Concerned they'll struggle to keep up with their peers in preschool? Well fret no more, we've got the solution for you. Introducing Vocabulary the new subscription-based language enrichment service tailored specifically for Korean 8-month to 3-year-olds based on the latest socioeconomic research. For a low monthly fee, Vocabulearn will dispatch a team of word wranglers directly to your home. Our developers have created a customized program just for your family situation, working mom, single dad, grandparent caregivers? No problem, we've got you covered. Whether it's incorporating flashcards into playtime, singing the alphabet during meal prep, or reading bedtime stories with targeted vocabulary, our word wranglers will engage your little ones with proven language-boosting activities. No need to stress over parental engagement levels or worry if you're from a higher or lower SES bracket. Outsource those language concerns to the experts at Vocabulearn. Sign up now and get the first month half off with promo code KIDSPEAK. Invest in your child's future verbal skills today. Side effects may include excessive chattering insatiable curiosity, and sudden love of books. But who cares, with Vocabulearn your kid will be top of their class. 
Here is a podcast episode explaining the research paper Licenciatura en Psicología. Tesis. Aproximación al estudio psicopatológico del tepto trivesta tecnicos de neuroimagen en Spanish. Hola y bienvenidos en nuestro podcast. Soy Tomuel Asgen. Hoy vamos a explicar un papel de investigación sobre las bases neurobiológicas del trastorno por estrés postraumático, conocido como tepto. A través de la soda tecnicos de neuroimagen. Exacto Tom. Es trabajo de grado tratado entender mejor el tef desde una perspectiva biológica, observando directamente el cerebro mediante resonancia magnética, tomografía por emisión de positrons y otros metados. Revisaremos que areas cerebrales se han relacionado con los sintomas del tepto y que conclusions se han sacado. Primero, hablemos del contexto. El tepto ha sido estudiado por siglos a grandes eventos como guerras, desastres naturales y cambios sociales. Sin embargo, su definición moderna data de 1980 cuando la APA lo incluyó en el DSM. Desde entonces, la investigación sobre sus bases biológicas ha crecido exponencialmente, impulsada por sucesos como el 11 de septiembre y el 11M en Madrid. Correcto. La autora revisa docenas de estudios recientes para entender mejor cómo afecta un evento traumático al cerebro a nivel neuronal y molecular. Esto puede ayudar a mejorar diagnósticos y tratamientos. Según la autora, las principales áreas implicadas son el hippocampo, la amígdala y varias zonas frontales como la corteza prefrontal. Vamos a repasar sus halascos en cada una. Sí, empecemos por el hippocampo. La mayoría de estudios muestran un descenso del volumen hippocampal, especialmente en personas con tept crónico. Esto se atribuye a los altos niveles de cortisol y glutamato liberados durante el estrés, que pueden dañar neuronas. Esto correlaciona con problemas de memoria retrospectiva y recuerdos intrusivos del evento traumático. En cuanto a la amígdala, muchos estudios registran una hiperactivación. Esto puede diversa que las señales moduladoras de las zonas frontales sobre la amígdala están alteradas. Impidiendo una respuesta de afrontamiento adecuada. Esto correlaciona con síntomas como disconexión emocional. Respecto a las zonas frontales, los resultados son más contradictorios. En algunos casos se registra una disminución de actividad, que podría explicar dificultades en regular emociones y filtrar estímulos. Sin embargo, también se ha encontrado hiperactivación. Probablemente dependiendo del nivel de activación autónoma. Y otras estructuras? En la insula se registra mayor actividad durante flashbacks, coherent con su papel en emociones somáticas. El talamo y otros núcleos muestran menor actividad, posiblemente relacionado con dificultades atencionales. En resumen, es trabajo aporta evidencia de que el tepto implica cambios neurobiológicos observables. Especialmente en áreas relacionadas con memoria emocional, regulación emocional y atención. Aunque se requiere más investigación, estos filosgos pueden ayudar a comprender y tratar mejor el tept. Muchas gracias por esta interesante revisión. 
Hacido informativo explorar las bases cerebrales de estrastorno desde una perspectiva neurológica. Donata, Hacido un placer. Gracias ustedes por escucharnos. Hasta la próxima. Here is a strange commercial for a company inspired by the paper, Upbeat Electronic Music Plays Announcer, Tired of Reliving Traumatic Memories? Can't stop your amygdala from misfiring? Worry not, Neuralink is here. We specialize in direct hippocampus hacking. Using our patented test technology, we'll zap your gray matter and banish those stressful engrams. No more intrusive flashbacks. Can't focus due to frontal cortex fatigue? We've got you covered. One session in our deep TMS chamber and we'll reboot your prefrontal circuits, wiping the PTSD right off your hard drive. Conditions may apply. Side effects include memory wipes, phantom smells, and involuntary dance sequences. Not responsible for lobotomies or permanent psychosis. Visit Neuralink.com today. We'll upload some tranquility into that distressed digital brain of yours. Let the healing and happiness downloads begin. Neuralink, hacking trauma out of your neurons since 2022. Who needs talk therapy when you can just reprogram your wetware? Here is a summary of the key points from the paper A Behavioral Signature for Quantifying the Social Value of Interpersonal Relationships with Specific Others. Thanks for joining us today for another episode discussing an interesting new research paper. Today we're going to dive into a paper that develops a novel method for quantifying something we don't typically think about in numeric terms, the value that we place on our relationships with specific people in our lives. Exactly. Most of us intuitively understand that different relationships hold different levels of importance to us, but it's challenging to put a number on something as complex as the value of a meaningful human connection. The researchers here took on that challenge by developing a behavioral signature approach. That's right. The basic idea is that relationships are valuable to us in large part because of how we choose to spend our scarce time and resources on maintaining them. So the researchers came up with a list of common social activities and derived weighted values for each based on how likely people said they were to prioritize that activity when time is limited. Then they had participants rate how likely they'd be to do each activity with different relationship partners a parent, close friend, and acquaintance. Their social value score quantified how aligned an individual's reported activities with a particular partner were with the overall behavioral signature. And the really interesting thing is that these derived social value scores tracked well with other relationship measures like quality, how upset people would be to lose access to the partner, and choices between partners in decision-making tasks. This provides evidence that the scores are capturing something meaningful about how we value different relationships. Yes, the researchers did a nice job first establishing this method and showing the scores were valid in an exploratory phase, then replicating and expanding on those results with a much larger confirmatory sample. Overall it demonstrates a novel way of operationalizing and quantifying the value we place on our interpersonal ties. For sure. This approach could help advance theories about how relationships and social connections factor into value-based decision-making. And it may have practical applications where understanding relationship value is important, like in clinical contexts. Nice work developing a quantifiable yet intuitive way of capturing this concept. Here is a silly commercial for the newly founded company Social Sig Scores, Upbeat Jingle Plays. Are your relationships leaving you feeling empty inside? Need a nice objective measure to really put a number on your so-called friends? Well do we have the solution for you.
Social SIG scores. We use our patented behavioral signature technology to assign each of your contacts a personalized social value rating. Find out who's really there for you when times are tough, and who you'd really take a bullet for versus who you'd sell out in a heartbeat. Don't leave it to chance. Get scientifically scored social SIGs. Just send us your call logs, texts, Instagram likes. We'll crunch the data and spit out cold hard numbers on your closeness with cousin Steve versus your work wife Jenna. Stop wondering how much do they really care? Let social SIG scores quantify your connections so you always know your relationship rep. Sign up now and get 20% off for Black Friday. Social SIG scores, attach a number to your feelings. What are you waiting for? Tom, welcome listeners to another episode of The Debate. I'm Tom. And I'm Jen. Today we'll be discussing the research paper Dogs Are Conscious to a Great Extent Vis-a-Vis Humans, Dog-Human Equivalence in Negotiating Culpability for Dog-Human Violence in Urban India by Dr. Rahul Sambaraju. This paper examines how culpability is negotiated in cases of dog-human violence in India through an analysis of online discourse. Before getting into the details, let's provide some context on why this topic is significant. Dogs play an important role across societies globally, but their status varies greatly. In India, there is a large population of free-living or community dogs that coexist with humans in both rural and urban areas. These dogs occupy a gray area between domesticated pets and wild animals. That's right. Their semi-domesticated status leads to complex human-dog interactions and relationships. On the one hand, dogs provide companionship and serve ecological roles. But they can also cause disputes through behaviors like biting, disease transmission, noise complaints and more. This paper aims to understand how blame is assigned in violent incidents through an examination of online discourse. To understand the analysis, we need to cover some key concepts. Discursive psychology examines how language and talk are used to construct versions of events and accomplish social actions. It focuses on the contextual details and sequential organization of discourse. Speciesism refers to the belief that humans are superior to other animals. Previous research has shown how language can reinforce differences between humans and animals. The methodology involved a discursive analysis of comments on YouTube videos about dog-human violence in India. Some important findings were that equivalence between dogs and humans was constructed in three main ways, treating dogs as sentient animals, treating humans also as animals, and positioning dogs and humans on a continuum of nature versus culture. However, these constructions were flexibly used both to downplay dogs' culpability but also to justify calls for their punishment. Now let's discuss the main findings in more detail. The paper analyzed over 500 comments across 10 videos to identify recurrent practices for negotiating blame. As Jen mentioned, comments constructed dogs and humans as equivalents by portraying dogs as conscious and sentient beings. They also drew parallels between humans and animals more broadly to equalize the species. However, these equitable constructions were used strategically and contextually. While portraying dogs as sentient downplayed their wildness and culpability, comparing humans to animals served to degrade human nature and shift blame. Nevertheless, the same arguments were sometimes leveraged to condemn dogs and justify calls for their control confinement or elimination. This nuanced analysis shows how notions of human and animal, nature and culture are fluid social constructs that change depending on the interactional context and purpose. 
Assigning blame involves flexibly drawing and redrawing boundaries between species based on strategic moral evaluations. Ultimately, both dogs and humans were portrayed on a spectrum rather than in binary oppositional terms. In conclusion, this paper provides valuable insights into the complex negotiations around culpability for interspecies violence. Through a discursive examination of online discourse, it reveals the situated and interactive nature of anthropocentric language practices. This adds to our understanding of how moral responsibility is navigated in human-animal relations. Thanks for joining us for this discussion of the paper. We hope it provided an intuitive understanding of some complex topics at the intersection of linguistics, psychology and human-animal relations. Please let us know if any part needs more explanation. This was Tom and Jen, until next time. Are you ready for the future? Introducing Dog Blame Insurance. We know disputes between dogs and humans are increasing in urban areas. But who's at fault? Dog blame has you covered no matter where the negligence lies. Got bit by Fido while walking down the street? No problem, one quick call and we'll review the online discourse. If people mostly blame dogs for being wild animals, we pay your medical bills. But if comments equalize dogs and humans? You're off the hook. Conversely, if your pup harms a neighbor we'll analyze social media. Sure, dogs may seem sentient. But one comparison of humans to animals and we'll argue it was just nature taking its course. So stop worrying about who's to blame when dogs do dog things. With dog blame, the finger gets pointed flexibly. Call now for a free policy review and see how fluid we can make fault lines. Terms and conditions apply, we reserve the right to change culpability arguments based on breakfast. Dog blame, ensuring discourse does the work so you don't have to. Here is a hypothetical podcast episode explaining the paper The Conceptual Structure of Human Relationships Across Modern and Historical Cultures in full detail. Welcome listeners to another episode of our award-winning podcast. Today we're diving deep into an intriguing paper that seeks to uncover the underlying structure of how humans conceptualize relationships across cultures and throughout history. That's right, Dom. The paper is titled The Conceptual Structure of Human Relationships Across Modern and Historical Cultures and it was published in a leading scientific journal. We're going to break down this complex research in a way that is intuitive and entertaining for our audience. Let's get started. Introduction, 500 plus words. To set the context, understanding human relationships is fundamentally important for the social sciences. However, studying relationships is challenging because they are diverse complex, and shaped by unique individual and cultural perspectives. This paper aims to clarify the basic elements and organizing principles of how we mentally represent relationships. The researchers conducted three major studies utilizing various methods like surveys, language processing, and computational modeling to examine relationships across different modern cultures and time periods in history spanning 3,000 years. Their goal was to identify any universal underlying structures or cultural variations. This research has the potential to advance theories in multiple disciplines and provide insights into human sociality and cognition. Key concepts and background, 300 plus words. Some important theoretical concepts addressed in the paper include factors like intimacy, visibility, power dynamics, reciprocity, and social roles that past researchers proposed help define relationships. However, no consensus had been reached on a unified framework. To synthesize the literature, 
the authors collected 30 conceptual features from existing theories and used simple language to generate a comprehensive list of 159 typical relationships. They then had over a thousand people rate these relationships on the 30 features to gather high-dimensional data.core. 2500 plus words. In their first study, the researchers applied dimensionality reduction techniques like PCA to extract the main components underlying people's ratings. This revealed a five-dimensional solution they called FAVI, standing for formality, activeness, valence, exchange, and equality. They found these five dimensions could accurately represent the similarity between any two relationships based on their distances in this five-dimensional space. The dimensions intuitively captured qualities like how public versus private, close versus distant, friendly versus hostile, transactional versus emotional, and equal versus unequal the relationships were. The researchers also discovered people tended to implicitly categorize relationships into three high-level groups they called HPP, for hostile, private, and public. But when explicitly sorting relationships, six canonical types emerged that further divided the private category into familial romantic, and affiliative in the public category into transactional and power relationships. Fascinatingly, they showed these six types and the underlying three HPP categories both emerged from the five-dimensional FAVI space. So discrete categorical representations exist within a continuous multi-dimensional model. This unified framework integrates past theories in a parsimonious way. Implications and applications. 500 plus words. In their second study, the researchers validated the Favi HPP model across samples from 19 diverse modern cultures, showing it was consistently shared worldwide. But they also found interesting cultural variations, with religion and modernization level predicting similarities and differences between cultures. For example, Americans seemed to focus more on physical distance in relationships while Chinese emphasized psychological distance potentially related to influences like ancestor veneration in Confucianism. Their fine-grained U.S.-China comparison revealed how subtly conceptualizations can vary with broader cultural backgrounds. Overall, this standardized conceptual structure provides implications for measuring relationships systematically and objectively across experimental contexts, as well as linking sociality to other domains like cognition, effects and decision-making according to the functionality of each dimension. Conclusion. 500 plus words. In their third study, the researchers leveraged advanced natural language processing on historical text corpora to examine ancient Chinese relationship representations computational models were trained on, finding the Favi HPP structures also applied millennia ago. This suggested the framework broadly generalizes not just globally but also enduringly over time, more so than previous theories. The researchers integrated multiple methods to provide compelling evidence for a basic unifying conceptual structure of human relationships. In conclusion, while relationships are personalized and complex, this research revealed fundamental cognitive constructs and cultural principles that scaffold our understanding across populations and epochs. It advances social science by proposing a parsimonious standardized model with promising implications for future research. Thanks for joining us for this insightful discussion of such a fascinating study. Up next time, we'll be exploring more on how this conceptual structure relates to human cognition and social evolution. Until then, we appreciate you listening. Here is a hypothetical comedic commercial for a bizarre company inspired by the research, upbeat jingle plays male voice, 
Tired of not knowing how you fit within the complex web of relationships in your life? Wishing you had an objective means to systematically measure your bonds? Then come on down to Favy Maps. We'll have you take our in-depth relationship evaluation survey to analyze your intimacy, dominance, intimacy, enmity and equality levels with all your contacts. Then using our proprietary Favy modeling technique, we'll map you and everyone you know within the five-dimensional relationship space. You'll get your very own 3D printed miniatures depicting your exact locations relative to others in the formal, active, valence, exchange and equality hyperspace. Finally our team of well-trained relationship navigators will help you interpret the map and offer advice on optimizing your social positionings. Find out who really belongs in your hostile, private or public spheres. With Favy Maps, confuse your relationships no more, objectively conceptualize them for only 3 easy payments of $19.99. Order now and we'll throw in a free HPP pie chart valentine showing your true relationship types. Favy Maps, bringing the science of human bonds to you. Terms and conditions apply. Results may vary based on inaccurate self-reporting. No refunds for damaged friendship valentines.